0: Meredith Boggs is the author of The Journey Home and the host of The Other Half podcast. On today's conversation, Meredith and I are discussing the foundation of the Enneagram and Meredith's perspective on why the Enneagram is not anti-Christian. And when I tell you guys that I receive tons of messages on this topic, I really do. So I was so, so excited to have this conversation with her. Meredith also discusses each Enneagram type and the primary sin and struggle that that type typically falls into based on their number. So it's a really great discussion for understanding not only yourself and your struggles and maybe why you struggle with those things, but also for understanding the people in your life and learning how to love them and understand them better. So let's jump into today's conversation. I cannot wait for you to hear it. I want to begin by thanking Cozy Earth for sponsoring today's episode. It has only taken 10 years of marriage for Jesse and I to finally realize that we needed to start investing in high quality pieces to make our home cozy. And not only is it worth it for the sake of peace at home, but also for intimacy between the two of us. So Cozy Earth gifted us an incredible bamboo sheet set and has been my favorite sheet set yet. And we have honestly spent so much money trying to find the right ones that don't instantly get holes in them or shrink down after one wash And the Cozy Earth Sheet Set is so much softer than cotton. And one of my favorite parts about it is that it is temperature regulating. So it keeps you cool and comfortable throughout the night. And I love being cool at night. So Cozy Earth strives to produce the highest quality, longest lasting, most comfortable home luxury products in the world. If you're unsure about your purchase, no stress. This is amazing. They offer a 100 night sleep test, which means you can try it for 100 nights. And if you don't absolutely love it, you can send it back for a full refund. So best of the best part is that cozy earth has given us a coupon code exclusively for my listeners for 35% off of anything on the site. When you use the code living easy. So find the link in my show notes, go check out all of the products that they have to offer. They have way more than just sheets and let's jump into today's episode. We were never promised that life would be easy, but when we do it together, it becomes much easier. I genuinely believe that we have to be intentional about creating a joyful life. I believe in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. But those things require deep, holy heartwork. work. I am passionate when it comes to sharing vulnerably about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing. And I am passionate about sharing practical wisdom that has helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. On the Living Easy podcast, you'll hear honest insight with a biblical foundation to help you become best friends with your spouse again, to love your motherhood so much that you don't need wine or even coffee, to get through the day, and to find hope in the very real trials and pain that we face moment to moment. I want to challenge you every Monday to live life with purpose, to choose joy, and to honor God with all that you do. Are you ready to fight hard for that sweet, abundant life? If so, I would love to do it together. So grab a cup of coffee and join me every Monday. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is Lindsay, and today I am so, so excited to talk about the Enneagram. We are going to be chatting about the, basically the way that our relationships work and the way that we can empathize with and love people in a better way based on what we know about the Enneagram. So I am so excited to introduce you all to Meredith Boggs. Hey, Meredith. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for being here. So Meredith, you are the author of The Journey Home. Can you talk a little bit about this book? What prompted it? What made you feel like okay, people need to hear more about the Enneagram?
1: Yeah. So this book, it's funny I tell people, I like wasn't going to ever really write this book. It was my third book proposal and kind of like my back pocket idea. Oh, wow. Um but this is the one that they sure. picked up and they were like, yeah, this idea is that's what we want you to write about. Um so, which I think is just like a testament to God that it's like, he has a reason that he wanted this mm-hmm. book written and this message out in the world, um, which I'm really passionate about. And yeah. I think where this book came from, the Enneagram has been around for years, but it really made a resurgence probably in the last seven or eight years. Um, the Road Back to You was a big book that kind of mm-hmm. you know, caught fire, especially in the Christian community. and people are really interested in self-discovery. More people are in therapy now than ever, which is great. And Mm -hmm. people are interested in understanding themselves better and understanding their relationships, how they can relate, how they can love people better. And I, I was introduced to the Enneagram in high school. And so kind of had it as a tool Uh, for those formative years. And then in my mid twenties, started doing some work in therapy again, and the Enneagram reemerged. And what I realized in that time was that um, while there are a lot of spiritual components of it, there just wasn't a really practical and like user-friendly guide to how to use the Enneagram for spiritual growth. And with each of the different types, they have some tendencies and virtues and all these different components to them that are very tied to biblical principles um, and that, that go very well along um, just the spiritual growth pathway, but there was nothing it was really that accessible. And so that's kind of how this book was born. It was born from my own desire for it and not being able to find it anywhere. Um,
0: yeah, that is wonderful. And one thing that I was so excited to talk to you about was the premise that yeah. the Enneagram is anti Christian. So the amount <laughs> of messages I get, Meredith, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. this is yes. satanic. This is, and for me, so I just want to give a little background. I know, and then I want to hear your perspective but like i know yes. that there's a secular backing to it but just as there's a yes. secular backing to christmas we have the ability to glorify god in all that we do and to use things with our discernment with the the presence yeah. of the holy spirit And so for me, it's been something, the Enneagram as a whole has been something that's drastically impacted my home, the way that I love my children, the way that I love my husband, the way that I understand my friends, and the way that I am able to, I think, interact with God because there's a deeper understanding of myself and the things that I do and why I do the things that I do that Mm -hmm. allows me to be more self-aware so that I can seek him with repentance. And so it's just been really good for me. I don't lean into it as my identity. I don't lean into it yes. as um, one size fits all because there's redemption and growth. And I think I tell people a lot, You know, if you're the same person today as you were yesterday, or you assume that I'm the same person today as I was yesterday, we're not giving the Holy Spirit enough credit for the growth yes. and providing. And so while these Enneagrams are a good definer of personality types, I think that there's also room for the Holy Spirit in the the growing of it all. And so yeah. that's just my perspective for those because I know I'll get questions on this. <laughs> um, I would love to hear from you, how can this be a useful tool and why do you say it isn't anti-Christian?
1: Yeah, that's so great. This was a section in the book that my publisher was like, can you please address this? It's a hot topic. And it actually has mm-hmm. become one of my favorite topics to talk about with the book. Yeah, um, and, and I'm very straightforward. I'm a type eight. So like, you're just going to get the truth. The yeah. fact of the matter is that people will claim that the that the Enneagram is rooted in Christianity, and it's absolutely not. Um, it has very secular origins. And it was created during a time when there was just a co-mingling of religions in the Middle East. And that was very typical for that that time period so there's some hellenistic there's some buddhist there is some christian there are but all these different influences and so to claim that it's christian is wrong first of all um and two i think i think there it offers a lot of room for us to grow and to think if we if we have this tool that it's like okay this is not explicitly christian like this wasn't derived from a biblical worldview but how can we approach it with that um And so I do think it's very wise to question and to be mindful of things that you expose yourself to. Um, And and I know this seems like a silly correlation in a lot of ways, but when I was growing up in middle school, the Harry Potter books came out and they were Mm -hmm. all the rage. And I was not a big reader growing up. I just was like, who would want to read books that long anyways? But I had so many friends that were forbidden to read the Harry Potter books because their parents were convinced that they were going to like start practicing witchcraft and yes. And like, we laugh about it now. And, and I look back and now as a parent myself, I'm like, you know what? They were doing the best that they could making, trying to make wise decisions for their children. And that is how we need to approach anything. But I think where we can miss out sometimes is if we only, you know, subscribe to Christian podcasts if we only read books by Christian authors, if we only listen to Christian music. My dad writes Christian music and he doesn't even only listen to it. Like I grew mm-hmm. up listening to so much other music. It's like if we only patron those kind of businesses, then we never expand our own worldview, the, these ideas, these thoughts that can really challenge our belief system in a good way and to help us think more critically, which helps us to engage culture where culture is um, and hopefully further the gospel. I think Joe Carter has, he wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition, and he says it perfectly. He says evangelicals concerned about the Enneagram should probably worry less since it's most likely a harmless fad that will fade in a few years. And evangelicals enthralled with the Enneagram should probably wonder why we're spending so much energy on a tool that has as much scientific validity as the four humor theories of Hippocrates. And I think that when you approach the Enneagram, The bottom line is just that the gospel is always like number one. It always takes the seat of authority. Um, And if the Enneagram can help you, like you've talked about, it helps you understand your kids, yourself. It helps you understand in relationships. That's growth and that's transformation. Then use it in that sense. If it's too much of a stumbling block for you, then don't. because that's not, you know, helping you on that journey. So yeah, I think it is really important um, to address both sides of it, that it's like, this can be a tool. And also if you choose to use it, you can't hold it in such high regard. It's not the gospel. It's not inerrant. It's not, yeah, it doesn't have that power and authority. I think that the Enneagram offers a real accessibility for people who are trying to understand themselves and understand other people. And if we go Mm -hmm. back to, biblical things like compassion, where Colossians talks about clothe yourself in compassion. For others, that it's like, that's what the Enneagram can do. It can help give you a lens to understanding your brothers and sisters that are different types that struggle in different ways than you do, that have different strengths than you do. And things like that, like love and compassion, those are biblical.
0: That's really good. I feel like I could talk about this forever, Meredith. It is something that we discuss it a lot in our home. Just We had some friends who Kind of fell into a cult essentially. Mm. And Mm -hmm. within that cult, they believed the gospel. They believed Mm -hmm. the Bible was the word of God, the inerrant word of God, but they added so many rules and regulations on top of that gospel, and it became where they couldn't do anything. They didn't have any freedoms. They couldn't drink certain drinks. They couldn't eat certain foods. They couldn't listen to a lot of music. The list is very endless, but with that, it just showed – Jesse and I, my husband, it showed us the freedom that we have in Jesus while these things are not – specifically defined as sin. If it's specifically defined as sin, we rebuke it as right. sin. But for us, when it's something that is, you know, not necessarily black and white, it is a gray area, we always want to have a level of consideration and compassion mm-hmm. for those who feel potentially different than we do. Though if they are struggling with something, um, if they, like you said, if it is a weakness for them or It causes them to feel convicted. We want to honor that in their presence. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. I just think when we continue adding these rules and regulations on top of things that do have some freedoms, we really bind ourselves and limit ourselves from experiencing a lot of, as you're saying, kind of being a part of that culture and being not, as Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That if we don't get ourselves into a place where we're understanding the people around us while still allowing God's will and and his heart and his intent for us to be ever present, we then lose sight of kind of speaking and ministering to the world. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts on this, but I I really love your insight. I love that it's not, oh my gosh, yeah, this is a great Christian thing. It is, no, it it doesn't have a Christian foundation. However, it can be used with discernment and wisdom to guide and help us understand our spiritual journey.
1: When I have conversations with people about it, I try to explain it as like this is an adjunct to your faith. Like, don't pick Mm -hmm. up your Enneagram books more than you pick up your Bible. Like, this is not a substitute in the same way that, like, listening to podcasts are great, reading books by Christian authors, that's good. And, like, daily devotionals, those are all really good things that are adjuncts to our faith that help us grow, but they cannot substitute the word of God. And, you know, I mean, the Hebrews even talks about that, that I don't, I'm not sure if it's Hebrews. I can't remember my mom brain is crazy today too. Um, (laughs) but you know, I've got, you know, I've got an 18 month old and if he could, he would just eat snacks all day long. But I sit that Mm -hmm. kid down and I'm like, no, you're going to eat some steak. You're going to eat some chicken. You're going to drink your milk. You're going to get solid food. That's actually going to help you grow instead of all these little snacks. And it's not like he eats, you know, like junk food all the time. Like they are good (laughs) snacks, but it's the same premise that it's like you can't like your, your spiritual diet can't just be podcast and devotionals and Enneagram book. It has to be the word of God. And so going back to that, ultimately that's where you're going to
0: Mm Find growth. It's a bonus resource, right? Like all of these are bonus resources, but when they become kind of placed in the position of the gospel and of spending time being fed by the actual word of God, I think that we, it really can be confusing because you're going from topic to topic and you're Mm -hmm. maybe not, not as focused on Jesus as you are on Self, yeah, self help. You know, because I think a lot of the time people pursue these podcasts or even other re- Christian resources for the sake of growth within themselves, rather than keeping their sights set on Jesus alone. Yeah. and learning more about Him. So I love that.
1: Yeah. Well, so absolutely. I want to dive
0: in a little bit into the Enneagram types, and I'm hoping that for our listeners, you can maybe just get a little bit of a preview of what you yeah. provide in your book, The Journey Home, can you share maybe one way for each Enneagram type that they wander away from
1: God, that they're more likely to wander away from God? Yeah. Um, I love that question. So for the type one, type one, they're known as the reformer or the perfectionist. And there, I'll go through this sin tendencies of each type and talk a little bit because they can seem a little bit nuanced. But for type ones, their sin tendency is anger, which can be confusing because anger is an emotion and emotions are not sins. But mm-hmm. obviously our response, the actions that we choose from our emotions can lead us down a simple trajectory. And so for ones, a lot of times their anger turns into this smoldering resentment and this bitterness. And when they don't allow their anger to be Channeled into change or to be refined by the Lord, that's when they can slip into a path of this resentment um, towards themselves, towards other people. And I think it's also helpful to remember when you're looking at these sin tendencies that sometimes they stem from a good place. The desire behind it may not be. Inherently evil, but the way that we act on our desires is not in accordance with what God has for us, and is a simple how we act sometimes. And so, ones their desire to see right in the world, to see good amidst all the imperfection, that's where this anger originates from because they see all that's all that's imperfect, all that's wrong. Um, yeah. So that's for type one. Type two, which by the way, what, what's your type, Lindsay?
0: I am a three. And through. Okay.
1: <laughs> I'm going to ask you some questions and have you talk about the three. <laughs> okay. okay. So, the type two, they are known as the helper. And anyone that knows twos, they are just exceedingly de- generous, kind people, loving, empathetic, just the ultimate picture of service and sacrifice. Their sin tendency that they slip into is pride. And that is very surprising for a lot of twos because they feel like, oh, I'm not prideful, I'm humble. Um, but this pride is really comes from the, the pride is really rooted in their indispensable role that they sometimes step into of being the person that can meet this need whether it's for their spouse, their children, um, and really stepping into that place when it's that's God's role, that's his that's his rightful place, and so for mm. twos, their journey is stepping into a humble place of service of asking what can be done rather than just doing what they believe needs to be done or doing what they see. And again, that's a balance too, because that's what twos are so gifted at. They, they just see what needs to be done and they pick that up. But it's when they surrender that and submit that to the Lord that they are not doing it from a place of seeking affirmation or validation and their worth, but it's from a place of true service and sacrifice. Um. So the type three, their sentencing is deceit. I have a lot of threes in my life, and my husband is a three. And oh, this see. one breaks my heart for threes, especially in America. There's this quote in the Road Back to You that the authors wrote something about like living in America as a type three is like being an alcoholic and living above a bar. That It's Mm -hmm. like we praise them for their accomplishments and their drive and their achievements. And that's also like, that's their Achilles heel. That's the very Mm -hmm. reason that they kind of shapeshift their persona and they take on these different, they kind of have that chameleon like personality where they can become whatever is needed in whatever Mm -hmm. situation. And so that sin tendency is deceit of being deceitful about who they are with themselves, with others, and ultimately with God. And yeah, when you when you look at these sentences of other types it breaks your heart with compassion for them but it's like well of course they would do that because that's where that's where they're told their value, and their that that's where their value is derived from what they accomplish, not mm-hmm. in who they are. So I think, man, I think threes have it extra hard when it comes to that <laughs> living in this country at this time. Um, I think I think there's yeah. a
0: lot of opportunity for growth. That's for sure. And I think that's when I say with how the enneagram has impacted me. I've shared before, but the first time I read the description, I was on. Um, a road trip with my husband and I just started Mm -hmm. crying because it was so accurate. And just as you said, chameleon, you know, that is something Mm -hmm.
1: that
0: it was actually very freeing for me to read because I had felt that way my whole life. Like I needed to shape shift in order to make people like me. Um, And it wasn't necessarily even a place of wanting them to think highly of me it was just the approval like i didn't want to be rejected yes. so i fought yeah. and i fought and i fought to to fit that role and when i read that it was something in it that just allowed me i felt like i told my husband you know i felt like the holy spirit just gave me that freedom by giving it words i was able to say okay mm-hmm. this is not the life that i want to live like i don't want and it yeah. can be really difficult having a platform and that's why mm-hmm. um, I've had to be very intentional to be really, really honest and candid about my junk. Otherwise, it's so yeah. easy to slip into that self preservation mode. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and not to say I've overcome it by any means because it is, it's very much a struggle, just especially the constant desire mm-hmm. for achievement and to be seen as valuable is really huge. And so I completely agree oh, with yeah. you. <laughs>
1: Thanks for sharing that. That's, I, I, see, I hear so many people say that when they identified their type or read something for the ter- first time, they just wept that it was like, oh my mm. gosh, this is it. And it really does, especially the sin part, it really highlights, yeah, it highlights that sin and it breaks you in a way, but there is such freedom in that, that it's like, okay, we have a name for this. We have words for it. And then that's where transformation comes from. It's like, okay, I don't yeah. want to live this way anymore. And there's, you, you don't have to. The yeah. type four is known as the individualist or the romantic and their sin tendency is envy so this is kind of there's a duality for type fours because they feel like something fundamentally is flawed within them this differentness from other people and while they long to be like other people and to feel that acceptance and that sameness they also desire to be Individualistic and special and set apart and different, and so there's this is where the envy piece comes in when there's not contentment with who they are and how they are. It's oh, I want what this person has, but then you get it, but then you want it, it's the never ending like cat and mouse game it's, it's that mm-hmm. it's the next thing and then the next thing, and that's where that envy arises from is a lack of contentment in who they are and how they were created to be, which. All of us struggle with that. Um, mm-hmm. let's be real, but fours feel that feel that on a on a very deep level. And so that is their sentence sentency of envy. Mm-hmm. Uh, type five, they are known as the investigator um, or the thinkers. They spend a lot of time in the cerebral space. Their sentency is avarice, and avarice is another word for greed and this is not greed in the sense of money but this can be greed in the sense of hoarding resources. Fives kind of subscribe to the scarcity mindset of they want to make sure that they have enough. They don't want to be dependent on anyone else. They want to have enough time, resources, money, energy, whatever stockpiled in case they were to need it. They don't like to tap into those resources, but they like to know that they're there. And so it can send them on this very frenzied Journey of accumulating, which is interesting because most Type Fives they're not hoarders of like material possession. It's all mm-hmm. the, it's the intangible things like the time and the energy, um, and some of it is money too, and some of it is is things um, to you know set their life up in a way that's comfortable and preserved. Mm-hmm. But that's I'm really, laughing, that's Meredith, a, because oh, that's oh.
0: Jesse. It's oh my god, like it's wild <laughs> to hear you describe it that way. Because I'm like. Oh, because he's always – I mean, we've always known as a five that he's obsessed with learning, right? He's always wanting to know what's going on. He's always on all of the YouTube videos all day long, just learning. And it doesn't matter if it's theology or stocks or politics or like he needs to know all of it. But it's very interesting to hear you say – You know, to always know like finances are there. Like he's, he is, Mm -hmm. he'll check our account every single day to make sure nothing (laughs) has changed. And no matter what you get to, like there's more to be had. But like you said, it's not in a greed way for him, like especially the financial aspect. It's not in like, I wanna have more than other people. It's in, I just wanna make sure that my family is cared for. And we just want to continue building upon that so that nothing could happen.
1: So it's really, it's just really interesting to hear you describe it. (laughs) Well, and what you said that the piece of of collecting information and constantly learning, that's usually what it looks like for fives. They have this thought that if they can, if they have enough knowledge, then the knowledge will preserve them from whatever catastrophe it is.
0: Do you think it's a level of control with, do you think that there's control involved in that?
1: Yeah, and I think I think control is one of those things that we all struggle with it and it looks a little bit different for each type. Um, but, it, yeah. but it's this illusion of control of like, if I have, and sixes, we'll talk about them next. Sixes struggle with this too in the sense that they are constantly... Predicting for catastrophe and they're planning and they've got plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's funny. I was talking to someone recently and she was like, My husband is a six, and he was not phased when the pandemic happened. She was like, and I was shocked because I thought he was gonna just freak out. And she said, But he planned his whole life for a pandemic. And so sixes <laughs> are and, and five similarly. They they yeah, they think and they plan and they have all these like contingencies kind of set up, and some of it can become to the point that it's an obsession and it's about control and it's really lacking that element of trust and faith in God. Um, but then some of it too, it's like, it, it's also how they're wired. Like there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with Googling all the things about, <laughs> you know, politics and theology. We all, yeah. you know, I love my five friends. I learned so much yeah. from them and you want them on your team at trivia night because you're yeah. going to win if you've got a five on your team. <laughs> That's true. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that there's, there can be an element of control there. Um, yeah, that's just.
0: It's also yeah. interesting, but I have a lot of six friends too, and it, it mm-hmm. is. It seems like a a constant level of awareness and mm-hmm. caution. Like there is always yeah. caution for everything. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. There's this level of hesitancy. Um, yeah, but yeah, we can dive into the five or the type six. They are known as the loyalist, and there is. A lot of Enneagram theory that sixes make up half the world, um, which there's obviously no hard data on that. But it's interesting to think about because these people are the ones that it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense why we have communities and churches and corporations and that the world functions in some orderly sense um, with these Mm -hmm. people who are committed. Um, But sixes, their sin tendency is fear. And so, again, like the type one, you see this emotion pop up as a sin tendency. Fear in and of itself is not a sin. It is how we act on our fear that it can become sinful. And sixes tend to spin up into worry. And I'm not talking about anxiety. And I also like to make a very clear distinction that there are organic causes of anxiety. There are causes of anxiety that can be a result of our sinful choices. But fear and anxiety in and of themselves are not, it's not black and white. They're not sins. Um, mm-hmm. But that worry, that rumination, that lack of choosing to Mastery over our mind and place our trust in Christ. That is where we can slip into a place of sin when it comes to what we do with fear. Um, but kind of like we talked about the fives, they spend a lot of time planning and mitigating any kind of crisis, and they get stalled out in this place of inaction. And and sixes can be very self-doubting that they will they're self-doubting that they have what it takes. They have enough knowledge, the resources to do what needs to be done if a crisis were to happen. When in reality, it's like, we're all going to be turned into sixes when the next you know pandemic hits or the next <laughs> yeah. crisis happens, because they're going to know what to do. They've planned for this their whole life. Um, yeah. So that's sixes' um, of fear and how that sometimes gets. Gets them stalled out. But you,
0: you know what I've seen with that? It, that I genuinely feel as I think about it is most of my friends are sixes. And what I've seen with yeah. them is they are loyal lions. And I think some of that may yes. stem from that fear of I don't want to be abandoned. I don't want to lose anybody. But equally, just mm-hmm. in their character, they are such yeah. loyal, faithful friends. Whereas as a three for me, it's like I can almost close out a tab and move on to the next. Like if something hurts me or affects me, it's yeah. easier for me to shut off and move on. Whereas with sixes, like they don't let me. And I think that's why I have so many friends yeah. they're just like so faithful in like letting me be a mess sometimes and letting me fall and fail and, and they're – maybe aware – I don't like to say that the fear is what prompts it, but I think that it's just been really interesting for me to see how intentional they are as Mm -hmm. people and how willing they are to kind of go through the ringer and that maybe because they've played out every circumstance in their head and they're like, the best one is for us to work through the hard. You know, like that's what the best end result is and I'm not going to let it go. So just to all my sixes, I just want to say you're very appreciated by the friends who Um, maybe just have more of a tendency to be hurt and build up walls that you don't let those walls be built up. Cause it's just for me, I'm like, it's something that I appreciate very much.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so kind. Sixes. Yeah, they really do. They're devoted. They're dependable, reliable friends. They, they Mm -hmm. don't. That's, I mean, I think that's why there's so much theory that it's, they make up half the world because organizations would crumble without them because there would be no, no one would stick it out and no one would stay when things get tough. And sixes, they really do stand in the gap for their people. Mm -hmm. Um, They're wonderful. Okay, the type seven is known as the adventurer or the enthusiast. And this one is probably no shock to any seven, but their sentinancy is gluttony. And this is not always just in the sense of food, but seven's core emotion is fear. So along with fives and sixes, they kind of subscribe to this scarcity mentality, and they're really afraid of being trapped in pain. And it's not really physical pain, but it's more of emotional pain. And so they can spend, their trajectory of life is just the next thing. It's the constant planning. It's then that's what sevens joke about, is that they never enjoy their vacations, or they never remember them because they're planning the next vacation while they're on it. <laughs> and um, I literally was sitting on the beach one day with my friend that was a seven, and we were already planning our next trip together and we were like, we got to stop. We need to be present and enjoy this. <laughs> yeah. We are in Florida with our toes in the sand. Um, and it's not, it's again, it's not all bad, but there are it's things exciting. Like that that it's like, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. But it's like, Oh, is this robbing me of the current moment? And so a lot of times sevens they overindulge in, in life in general, they have this just exuberant kind of lust for life. Um, that we'll talk about a little bit more with the eights. The eights definitely have more of that. Um, but they but this can also be in it can be in food, it can be in alcohol, it can be in experiences to medicate whatever current pain there is in their life that they don't want to to address and to notice. And sevens their work, their transformation really comes when they're able to be present to pain and not run away from it, not play in the next adventure, not indulge in whatever it is, Netflix or you know. Whatever, in order to to medicate that. Um, so, gluttony is is the same tendency of the sevens.
0: Um, Meredith, do you think that there's um, with that? And I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. If the answer is no, that's totally yeah. fine. But do you think? Because I tend to have futuristic. a a futuristic Uh personality where I'm the one who's like planning that next vacation, which that could also be achievement-based. Like, okay, I accomplished Mm -hmm. this. What can I accomplish next? But do you feel that maybe for a seven that they're lacking a level of contentment and that's why they're gluttonous in the adventure and the experience that they're – like you said, we need to just be present. Is it a presence or is it a lack of contentment, would you say?
1: You know, I think in talking to, I think in talking to most of my friends that are sevens, it can definitely be an issue with contentment sometimes, but a lot of times it's just a lack of presence. And if you dive deeper into the Enneagram and you get into stances um, or like um, their orientation to time, type three, seven, and eight are future oriented people. Mm -hmm. Um, Types one, two, and six are um, present oriented four, five, and nine are past oriented. And so when you think about it like that, my husband and I with a three and eight, we're always talking about what's next. Like we rarely Mm -hmm. relive the past. And Mm -hmm. honestly, having a child has really helped us live in the present moment. But we're just, we're future thinking people. And that's not bad. That's just how we're wired. Kind of like you said, you're futuristic thinking Um, And so I don't know that it's, it absolutely can be a lack of contentment. Um, But I think sometimes too, it's how they're wired. And in the sevens that I have talked to, you know, one of them said, you know, I really do struggle with thinking that the grass is greener, but she was like, if I will just put the picnic blanket down on the grass that I'm standing right now, I realize that it's pretty green and that things that I once worked for and hoped for, I have them right now in my life. And so some of it too, I think is just presence and perspective of, like I, I worked for this and I dreamed about this and it's here. And it doesn't mean that there's not more goals and dreams and things on the horizon to chase, but just being in that present moment and, and taking in all that there is to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I mean, I think sevens can definitely slip into a place where it's a contentment issue. We all can do that. Um, and that's mm-hmm. kind of where the Enneagram, there's threads that connect all the types. And yeah, so, but I think that's yeah. great. It's a great, great so. observation about sevens. So. Yeah. Um, okay. The type eight, they are known as the challengers. they uh, their sentencing is, is you, lust. So right? yes, this is me. Okay. Yes. So I always, um, tell people, people always think about lust in a sexual sense and this lust, it, I mean, it, it could be, but it is mostly just this like voracious energy, this lust for life, um, this mm. intensity, this driving force, this too muchness that they approach life with. And my husband always tells me, he's like, pump the brakes. Not always literally, but sometimes that that, that, that does. I, I do drive too fast and I need to not drive too fast. Um, but just in life, he tells you just pump the brakes. And really, eights can get into this. They're just, they just blow and go. Like They just don't stop and it can really leave some damage in the wake. And eights struggle too with control um, and that lust just really just is like gasoline to the fire for that issue of control with them of just constantly in the pursuit of it and grabbing a hold of it and trying to wrangle their life or the situation that they're in into, you know, whatever they see fit for it. Um and so AIDS, a lot of their work is just stopping. Um it is and their spiritual practice is stillness. Um and that's that's a physical stillness for AIDS and it's also a, a stillness of mind and a stillness of soul that really recenters them on Christ, and that being the main focus instead of whatever they are currently on a rampage about in life. And you know, like all these types, it's it's not always terrible, but it's not always bad. But it can slip into it can slip into a damaging and destructive place. Right. There's the healthy side of a three or an eight, and then there's
0: the unhealthy side of a three and an eight. And what we strive for as Christians is to lean into that healthy side and to learn what it means to live in that healthy side of things. And so like you're saying, I mean, I think it's so hard because people are like, oh, this is a generalization. And absolutely it can be, but Mm -hmm. it's just funny even hearing it how much it validates so much of what what I know of my people. Um, Yeah. So I I believe you. And I was going to ask you, do you feel that sometimes AIDS can get a bad rap for being abrasive? And if so, what do you think leads – not that I think you're abrasive in any way, but that's kind of what (laughs) I've heard about AIDS, is they can be abrasive or brash or too blunt. And what leads to that?
1: Yes, absolutely. They get a bad rap and it's not always a bad rap because sometimes they are. I am so, I'm convicted of that like on a weekly basis with my husband that it's like, what I'm saying is true, but I'm not saying it in a very kind way. And so that Mm -hmm. is my work. A lot of times, yes, what you're saying is true, but are you saying it in a kind way that like can be received by other people? I think, I think what's at the bottom of it is what they're speaking is true and they feel very passionately about that. But but they think that the truth excuses them from how they approach it or how they handle a situation. And it absolutely doesn't, just because just because you're speaking the truth, it still matters how you treat people, how you say it. Anne Lamott has this really great quote. It's actually in a book on writing. It's not even anything related to the Enneagram, but she's talking about this writing workshop that she's teaching. And there's two participants. And this one just wrote this pretty awful essay. And people were like not really giving him, they were like basically telling him it was good and it really wasn't very good and not really helping him. And this one participant just told him the truth and she was furious that everyone else was lying to him because it was like no we all know objectively that this is not good writing and so so she tells this story that the participant the female that kind of like just shredded this guy's work came to her after the workshop and she was just like everyone is giving him all this feedback and it's just not true and you know they're they're not actually helping him and she said um you don't always have to chop with a sort of truth. You can also point with it. And okay. that is something that I go back to as an eight that it's like, okay, I don't have to chop with the truth. I can just point, I can point and I, I can point quietly, with. you can point silently with something. Um, but I think that that is that's, and that's where eights, that's where their unbridled lust comes in. That it's like, they use it as an excuse of like, well, this is true Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. But you're also like being really unkind and damaging in the process of of saying something. And kind of, you know, like you were saying, there's two sides to each of it. Aids have a ton of energy. And when harnessed correctly and appropriately, they bring a lot of change to the world because they see the injustice that's there. And they are the ones that are driving initiatives that are, you know, bringing justice to all these horrible things that's when their lust is tamed and it's, and it's channeled appropriately. But when they just let it run wild, it's a destructive fire that just burns people down. And that's when they become abrasive and they become bullies and just bulldoze everyone in their path. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, eights do get a bad rap for that and kind of rightfully so, because they are like that sometimes. Um, But sometimes it's it's just refreshing
0: to hear the truth, though.
1: (laughs) I like I have a few in my in my mind, I'm thinking,
0: and I'm like, while it didn't always go over well what they communicated, (laughs) like what they communicated was effective and it stuck with me, you know? Yeah. And so I think I'm like sometimes it's refreshing, especially I think as a three. For somebody to not try to appease you, or to not like, mm-hmm. who's just gonna say it like it is? And yeah. I, I'm learning <laughs> to receive it better because I'm very sensitive. But when I yeah. hear it, I'm like, I mean, I genuinely appreciate you caring enough about me to tell me the truth.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that's where that's where they're a gift to the world, and that's also where they can grow. That it's like you mm. can say that you can point with the sword of truth and not talk with that's it. Good. Um, Love that. Yeah. Uh, So type nine, the last one, they are known as the peacemakers or the mediators and their sin tendency is sloth. So nines are not lazy. And I always want to make that distinction. Nines are extremely hardworking, but this sin tendency of sloth comes into play when nines struggle with taking appropriate action when something is theirs to do. Um, Nines can kind of just move about life and they see what needs to be done, but they don't realize that they're the one that can do something about it or that really should do something about it um and i struggle using that word should because i don't love it but it it kind of fits here that nines Mm -hmm. can slip into this place of sloth of not taking not taking ownership for what is theirs and there's a verse in ezekiel that talks about um by indolence a roof leaks and i think that that's so fitting that it's like We had a leak in our ceiling and, you know, the first day I noticed it, I'm like on a rampage and I'm like, we've got to get this fixed. Um, Whereas, you know, nines can see that leak and be like, oh, that's an issue. But the amount of like time and energy that it would take to address it, like all the what ifs of like, well, what if there's really bad damage? What if we need a new roof? What if there's, you know, what if there's water damage inside and we don't have the money to pay for this, or, you know, it's way worse than we thought that can keep them stuck in a place of inaction, um, which, you know, could cause an even bigger problem with your roof in the long run. Mm-hmm. And so for type nines, that sin tendency of sloth is really what kind of keeps them trapped. And it's, it's also, I would imagine such a struggle for nines because, They really, one of their gifts that they bring is that they are, they're empathetic. They are the true empaths of the Enneagram, that they genuinely see and understand everyone's perspective. Um, But in doing that, sometimes they can listen, they listen well, but they don't, they don't speak up or they don't, they don't speak up for themselves. They don't speak up for others. They just kind of stay in this place of, of indolence and sloth. And so, yeah, so that's where that sent tendency for nines arise from. And then, and if you have a nine in your life and you've ever seen them really step into their own voice and say what it is that they want or that they need or that they desire, they think it's really beautiful. And they do it in such a kind and graceful way that gives the rest of us a template for how to own those things in our life and how to ask for them. But it takes a lot of work for them to get there, to get to that place of taking action. So that's, that's
0: this is all mind. so fascinating to me. I know that this went way longer than I had planned to, do, but I just I love this stuff, and I'm so thankful for you and your willingness to share and kind of dig into it because, it I think for me at least, it just really helps me to love my people better, to understand yeah. them. Just as you're talking, my mind is reeling, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I understand, and I think it gives me compassion and empathy for yeah. people because I understand why they do the things that they do when they're different from me, you know, because they're difficult. I'm difficult. Everyone is difficult. And so if we can learn to just be gracious in that difficulty and understand what leads to it, whether it's experiential or just personality type and character, it can really impact the way that we interact in our relationships. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for sharing. And if you wouldn't mind, let our audience know what you hope that they gain out of your book, The Journey Home?
1: Oh, I love that question. Um, thank you so much for having me. I sure. just, am, yeah, I'm just so thankful um, that we get to talk about all this and love your perspective on it. The thing that I hope that they take away from this book, as an eight, I feel like I'm not a very encouraging person. It's just like, well, here's the <laughs> truth. Like, I hope it's encouraging, but it might not be. Um, but just just the the truth that transformation takes time. And it's a really... Non linear, painstaking journey at sometimes, but there are people who will walk alongside of you. Um, and community, it's hard to find that and to cultivate that sometimes, but those people exist and they will walk this journey with you. Um, and just the truth of Philippians 1 4 that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion, you have that to hold on to, um, to trust in that in the non linear journey of transformation. Um, But yeah, it gets hard in the dailiness, um, but that's just transformation. It takes time. And then you look back after years and you're like, oh my gosh, look at who I've become. And like you were talking about earlier, that it's like the Holy Spirit gets the credit for that work. When we don't let ourselves be a new person or we don't let the people, our family members or friends grow and change and be different, we're really like robbing God of his mm-hmm. rightful place and the work that he does best. Um, mm-hmm. The work that only he can do, which is transformation, but it takes time. Yeah.
0: Well, and I want to encourage you in your encouragement and you feeling like you're not an encouraging person. <laughs> Something that I I recently read that really resonated with me. Um, and I actually were creating, my husband and I are creating the Sex and Intimacy Project. And mm. in that, um, I'm talking about women encouraging their husbands. And sometimes we have this vision of what encouragement should look like. But what it really means is to be somebody who gives others courage. And I was like, oh, I've never even thought about that, that like courage is in the encourage, but that's what it is, is you're giving someone courage. And I think with your book, just your heart, which is overflowing into your words on your book is giving people the courage to understand themselves, giving the people the courage to to face the struggles that they face, their sin patterns, and also the courage to to see the good in other people. And so I would just challenge that you are by nature an encouraging person, the fact that God placed this on your heart and he's using you for that. Um, but yeah, I'm just so thankful I'm thankful to have you and for our listeners, if you enjoy this conversation, make sure to share on your stories share with a friend or family member Tag us and let us know what you gained from this. I think this is a really really great episode for you to discuss with somebody um, who whose Enneagram number you may have heard and been like wow, that's actually very insightful have those conversations with your people because it really might help to, Um, dive into a conversation that's even deeper in understanding and having grace and compassion with one another. So we love you guys. Make sure to check out my show notes for the link to Meredith's book, The Journey Home. And as always, we love you guys and we'll see you next Monday. Bye.